and welcome to the One Foot Down Podcast. This is episode number 14, our Southern Cal review. The Irish come up with a 14-10 to 10 victory over the Trojans, their first win at home over USC since 2001. So uh, there's a lot to celebrate. Today on the podcast, I welcome back Whiskey Jack from the Notre Dame message board Irish Envy. How are you doing, Whiskey Jack? Doing very well. Thanks for having me back on, Eric. All right, so obviously the big talk from this game was the Notre Dame defense, so we're going to get right into to that side of the ball first here. Um, I wanted to get your thoughts just on the overall um, play of the defense, um, You know, maybe some big-picture thoughts, and maybe just throw out the question to you that maybe this was possibly the best effort we've seen, specifically in the second half from a Notre Dame, Brian Kelly, and Bob Diaco defense. What are some of your thoughts on that? I would agree entirely. Um, you know, I was a little worried with the way they, they came out the gate. I thought we would uh, defend the run a little better. You know, Silas Red had a really big first half against us. Um, I don't know if uh, Diaco was a little too worried about, you know, getting burned by Lee or Aguilar over the top. So, you know, that they might have been playing a little soft against the run to start out. But the adjustments he made during the second half were just amazing. Um, I don't know if I've ever seen second half adjustments that that effective because um, they came out and just completely shut down SC, uh, even though most of SC's drive started in our territory in the second half. That was just incredible. Yeah, three out of the four drives were in Irish territory, and the fourth started on their own 48. Um they had 31 plays for a total of 88 yards in the second half for 2.8 yards per play, so it's a pretty amazing effort. Absolutely. Um, and, uh, you know, that on top of the fact that we were playing so many freshmen uh, and getting production from so many young players in such a high-pressure environment, um, you know, the, the defense had to know at that point that uh, we were not scoring another point with Hendricks under center. So yeah. it was all on them, and uh, just the, the way they, they stepped up and answered the call was inspiring. It's, I, it still has me smiling a day after. Yeah, it did seem like the defense fed off that, knowing the offense probably wasn't going to score, let alone get more than one first down, which ended up being the case. Um, I would throw a little bit of water on that, only because I think you know Lee didn't play a whole lot in the game. Um, he did drop what looked like. Not an easy touchdown pass, but a very catchable ball for him. And, uh, you know, some of the injuries and lack of depth on uh, USC's offense definitely helped, I thought. But overall, it's a, a really great effort by the defense. Um, let's go to my second question here. So Notre Dame's played seven games so far. What would you say is the, the, the big weakness on this defense? Oh, you know that's that's hard to say because I, I think our, our defense is is much better now than it was at the beginning of the year. Um, you know that we, we had a lot of there was a lot of optimism coming into the season that we would be able to kind of pick up right where we left off and that um, you know we had would be about as good or maybe even better than last year. Um, in, in retrospect, that seemed like. Uh, you know, overly optimistic. Obviously, you're trying to replace uh, Mata and Teo and KLM uh, and the leadership they brought, um, and then losing Danny Spawn, losing key depth players like Hounshell and Springman. Um, it was just 
a lot to overcome. And then, of course, you know, Tua was coming back from injury. We lost Day to a high ankle sprain for a while. So, you know, it, it has taken a while for the, the defense to really come together. But I, I felt like the last two games against ASU and SC, we, you know, the, the defense is finally playing up to the expectations of where we thought they'd be. I think a lot of that has to do with, uh, you know, Tuit, uh you know, getting back to healthy again. He's, he's kind of rounding back into 2012 form again. Um, the linebackers are, are looking better. You know, Fox and Calabrese really look like major liabilities, especially in coverage at the beginning of the year. Um, and, you know, there was the potential for major disaster after Grace went down. Um, but I, I feel like they, they really both stepped up big time last night. I didn't feel like either of them were uh, major liabilities in pass coverage. Uh, Calabrese was blowing up running plays behind the line of scrimmage, was looking very strong. Um, so, you know, I, I would still say that the, 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 the weaknesses of the Irish defense are, you know, ha having to defend uh, a dual-threat quarterback, but that's, that's not really saying much because dual-threat quarterbacks put stress on every type of defense and they give everyone fits, even in the NFL. Um, but it probably still the, uh, the, the the quick intermediate passing game, you know, crossing routes and slants, uh, targeting our linebackers, though that, that seems to be less and less of a, a weakness as we go forward and as our D-line really starts to get back into shape. Uh, we're getting pressure on opposing quarterbacks quicker. Um, you know, Knicks, Tuit, uh, they're, you know, getting their hands up, blocking passing lanes more frequently. Um so I don't know. I mean, I, I we're certainly not the defensive juggernaut that we were, but I, I can't point to one thing anymore that I felt is going forward going to be a major defensive liability for us. Um, with the way our defense has played in the past couple games, I think we, we could legitimately win the rest of our games, assuming uh, Tommy comes back and uh, plays the rest of the season for us. Yeah, the dual third quarterbacks are the kryptonite for most any defense. Um, Although I would say I think any offense that has a good offensive line and a, and a good quarterback will give this team a lot of problems. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the safety position. I, I think that's probably where I would pinpoint the weakness for Notre Dame. Um, it's pretty crazy when you think about how many guys they have, have played there this year. And, um, you factor in the injury to Nicky Barati, he probably would have been in the top three at least there at the position. Every single safety has played so far this year, excluding... Uh, Turner. So you have Redfield, um, Shoemate, who missed the game this past weekend. Um, Hardy was in there a lot, and obviously Farley and Collinsworth. Um, what are your thoughts on the on the safety position? Um, do you think that's the biggest weakness on the defense? And uh, what do you think we're going to see here over the the second half of the season? Yeah, I, I'm I'm glad you brought that up, and I I shouldn't have just singled out the inside linebackers and coverage as as a weakness. It, it's really the kind of the, the middle of the back half of our defense. The inside linebackers right. are, are are safeties as well. Um, you know, and the, the kind of stock fan criticism is to say, well, we lack athleticism there. We just need better players. Um, and I, I think a lot of ways that, that's, that's too easy um, because it, it's hard for us in watching um, – watching the game and, and, you know, not seeing things in practice and not being in the meetings to know how much of it is, is mental, how much of it is schematic. Um, you know, getting back to what our overly optimistic 
expectations were for our defense this season. A lot of us thought that, you know, Farley had played on a championship-level defense uh, for every game of last season, and we thought, oh, you know, Mata's leaving, Farley will step up, and he'll be the leader there. Um, but it, it's pretty clear that uh, Farley is still really lost as far as alignment goes. He doesn't have kind of that, that killer instinct yet to be in the right place at the right time. You know, Collinsworth has been a special teams ace for us, but he's also struggled a lot with injuries and hasn't gotten a lot of uh, a play time. You know, this season is his first as getting major minutes as a starter. So I, um, being charitable here, I, I'd like to think it's mostly just a lack of experience and that, you know, those guys are going to be a lot better at the end of the season against Stanford than they were at the beginning of the season against Temple. Um I don't know. You know, there there may be an athletic deficiency there, and uh, if that's the case, then I would expect you know Shoemate and Redfield to take over sooner than later. Um, but but I don't know. Other than that, it's you know the the, the defense is clearly evolving, and I, I'm not uh, I'm not ready to call for anyone's head just yet. So the defense playing very well the past two games, and we'll have an opportunity here in the next few games to uh, probably look even better against Air Force, Navy, and Pitt. Uh, and maybe to a certain extent BYU to finish the season. Uh, we'll talk about those teams a little bit. Um, let's switch sides of the ball here. What did you think of uh, the performance of Tommy Reese in the offense before his injury against USC? I, I thought Tommy did great. Um, and, you know, one, one of the big knocks on Tommy is that he, he does not – he tends not to look good against really athletic, aggressive defensive fronts. And – USC's is certainly that. Uh, I would say they are probably, they are arguably the, the second best defense we're going to face all year. And I, I it's, it's going to depend on how they look over the course of the season against Stanford, but I would, at this point, I would put them only behind MSU and they may stay that way. Um, and Tommy did great. I, I don't have the stats in front of me. I think he threw for about 67%, uh, 166 yards and two touchdowns. Um, did great, and his red zone percentage would have been even better if we hadn't have gotten stoned trying to um, run the pistol in the red zone on that first uh, red zone appearance. Um, I'm trying to think. I, I know, I think he had seven drives in total before he got sacked and taken out of the game. Uh, scored on two. Uh, there was that first one where he drove the team down the field and we got stuffed in the red zone. That really wasn't his fault. Um, he had kind of a, a trash drive at the end of the first half where we basically just played, uh, ran two plays and he kneeled it down. Um, had, had another where it was basically ruined by a, a, Stan, a, a Ronnie Stanley offsides call um, that turned a, a third and two into a third and seven. Right. Uh, but that, you know, I was just, I was really happy with Tommy. And, you know, even if he, he arguably could have, could have done more, um, I mean, I, I don't know how anyone could uh, criticize Tommy after they've seen what the alternative is. I mean, we have we've stared into the abyss and seen what life with Tommy Rees without Tommy Rees is like, and it does not look pretty. Um, you know, there's kind of an ongoing joke on a lot of Notre Dame message boards that you know asking does does Tommy Rees have naked pictures of Brian Kelly because we have this starting quarterback that has you know some very obvious. Uh, deficiencies, things that he just can't do and that other teams are able to capitalize on and make our lives difficult by. 
so the, the question is, you know, why why isn't Hendricks getting more of a look? Um, you know, why aren't we considering taking the red shirt off of Malik Zaire? And you know, at this point, I think, you know, you you've seen why. Uh, for all of his his problems, Tommy is far and away our best and I, our best option. And I, I think that's probably been the case the last few years as well. Um, I don't know. It was just an eye-opening experience last night seeing them both against SC. Hey, did you notice the offense ran a little up-tempo uh, in the first half there? I don't know if it spilled over into the second half a little bit. Is that something you'd like to see a little bit more of in the future? I know I would. Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I think I think Tommy has the the, the perfect skill set to do that, and uh, I'm sure I'm not alone in getting frustrated where uh, you know Tommy tries to do his best Peyton Manning impression and he's making multiple checks at the line of scrimmage and we're all watching the play clock tick down and you know we either get a delay of game or delay of game penalty or the defense gets to jump the snap count because you know he's snapping the ball at the very last second and there's no uh, there's no mystery as to when the ball's coming out so you know I, I think that would really go a long way toward um, assuring up some of Tommy's deficiencies particularly against um, BYU and Stanford because those are going to be you know elite defenses very aggressive front sevens and if we're able to get them on their heels a little bit and uh, you know not let their inside linebackers you know kind of play this game of chess with Tommy of you know who's going to make the right check or the last check uh, I think it, that would really put us in a position to put a lot of points on the board and take some pressure off of our defense but um, let's hope we see more of it going forward yeah, it seemed like it was the most clean uh, performance, I thought, of the year in terms of, I don't know, was there maybe three checks at the line that Reese made and not very many close calls with the uh, play clock and things of that nature. So I thought that was really encouraging to see. I hope we see a lot more of that in the future. Now, you talked about Hendricks a little bit. Um, I want to get back on topic with him. How do we assess his performance and... Um, I was just finishing up my recap for uh, the game and whatnot, and I, I basically said, you know, if, if he doesn't see any more extended action this year, if you're the coaching staff, are you going to bring him back for a fifth year? I'll, I'll throw that question out to you and then just kind of give me your thoughts overall on what you saw out of Hendricks. You know, I uh, I, I would say yes, uh, if, if only from the uh, for the reason of maintaining ideal quarterback depth. Um, you know, um, if if Hendricks doesn't come back for whatever reason, if they offer him and he declines, or they just don't offer him, then we are only going to have three quarterbacks on scholarship for uh, 2014. It's going to be, and then that's assuming Golson comes back, which at this point, all signs point to he's coming back. But you know, you, there's there's always a curveball in these sorts of things, and we certainly can't afford to gamble on the quarterback position. So. If, if Hendricks doesn't come back, it's it's Golson, Zaire, and then Kaiser. And you know Zaire and Kaiser at the, will will have had absolutely no playtime at all. And Golson's a slack kid, so I, I think you, you've got to bring back Hendricks if for no other reason than to you know have a have a veteran uh, presence on the on the sideline to help lead the um, the the Red Army in you know calling signals. Uh, you know, he, he can help out in the film room. Um, you know, in last uh, the, the game last night against SC was just brutal. You know, I don't know if I've ever seen a 
a more incompetent uh, performance by a quarterback. But you know, we, we've we've seen better from from Hendricks. Uh, you know, when, when he came in against Stanford during the FSU game, um, he, he certainly had flashes of you know uh, of ability there. What when he when he came in for limited packages against Oklahoma, he certainly showed some ability there. Um, obviously, he, he's going to be ha- he's going to have to force teams to respect his arm, uh, or he's going to see a lot more of what uh, SC did to him last night, where they're they're literally just selling out completely against the run and putting nine guys, nine and ten guys in the box. You know, it, it doesn't matter how good you are at running the read option. He's never going to get anywhere with that. Um, but I, I do think they ought to bring him back uh, for, for the reasons I just listed. And I, I believe Kelly plans on bringing him back. And if I recall correctly, uh, Hendricks was asked straight up recently, and he said, you know, I love this place, and if they want me back, I'll be back. So at this point, I, I fully expect Hendricks to be back for a fifth year. So what would you do with Zaire this year? Let's say... Uh... It looks like Tommy should be back for the game against Air Force this weekend. Um, let's say he's not back for the game this weekend against Air Force. Do you stick with Hendricks? And then maybe another, what happens if Reese uh, sprains his knee here in the next game or two and is out three weeks? you still sticking with Hendricks? Or are you going to go down the rabbit hole of throwing Zaire in there, burning his red shirt? Because it seems like a lot of the talk now has immediately shifted from, you know, Hendricks is done, and let's burn Zayer's red shirt. What, what do you think about that topic? Yeah, you know, I, I think that it, it's it's not an unrealistic possibility, and it's something the staff has to be thinking about. But based on Kelly's comments, every time somebody is asked about burning Zayer's red shirt, it, it's clear that he it, this season is is Reese or bust. So I wouldn't be surprised if if when Tom, if Tommy goes down, God forbid. Um, I think he probably would stick with Andrew. Uh, you know, put in Hendricks and just ride it out and see see what we can get. You know, obviously the, our, our season is totally contingent upon upon Tommy, you know, being our quarterback for the rest of the season. So I I, I don't know for sure. I, I, I'm thinking uh, Kelly's response to that would be if Tommy goes down, uh, we are not going to have a successful season one way or another. And he would rather preserve uh, Zaire's red shirt than, you know, throw him to the wolves and maybe try to salvage another win out of it, um, and maybe retard his development. I don't know. I, I think at this point it's very clear that Kelly is determined to uh, preserve Zaire's red shirt and basically work him in as an understudy to Golson next season, uh, rather than force the issue this season. So, and and you know what, I, I'm okay with that. The uh, it, it was pretty clear early on that our margin for error this season was going to be really thin. Uh, Reese being, being our starting quarterback for the entire season was, is one of those things where we just don't really have any wiggle room for on, for success. Um, so I, I think that's that's how it's going to be. All right, let's shift uh, to the backfield here. Um, I just want to get your thoughts on the running back situation. Uh, once again, Cam McDaniel led the way. Again, for the Irish, um, let me just pull up the stats here. He had 18 carries against USC. Um, that's more than double the carries that George Atkinson had. And right now, through seven games, McDaniel's leading the team in carries by qu- quite a large margin. Um, do you think 
McDaniel should still be that primary starter, um, or did you like what you saw to Atkinson? Um, do you want to see more Carlisle or Folston? What are your thoughts on the uh, the tailbacks? No, well, you know, it's it, it's funny. I, I I had to laugh. I I love that with all the talent we have in the backfield that our our best running back right now is a is a three star white kid out of Texas. Uh, <laughs> but I, I I love I love Cam. I mean, he is a all along, I've argued that he is our most complete back as far as, you know, vision, um, you know, being able to run between the tackles, um, ball security, all of those things. Cam just brings the total package. Um, and I, I've actually been a, a little frustrated that Cam is, has not been getting more touches because it seems whenever somebody gets the hot hand, for whatever reason, Kelly and Martin, you know, immediately just switched to one of the other two guys. It's like, okay, well, Cam just ripped off a big run. Let's give the ball to uh, to, to George, or let's, you know, try, uh, you know, a, a swing pass to Carlisle. And it, it just seems to kind of kill the momentum when we finally get someone with the hot hand. Um, I, I am totally comfortable with Cam being our starting running back for the rest of the year, being the, the clear number one. Um, I, I think it, it's helped some things that the the two freshman running backs have have gotten a little banged up. You know, we'll we'll see if if Bryant's content to stick around. Um, but it, it's certainly taken some some pressure off them. I feel, oh, and the coaching staff is for why are they not seeing the field? The the coaching staff can point to you know they're they're a little banged up and they're still learning the game. Um, you know, I we've seen flashes from both Carlisle and and, At, and Atkinson, but they're they're still just not consistent enough to be earning more touches. Uh, like uh, Carlisle had had a huge drop last night, yep. and for you know, it, when when there's limited touches available and there's that many talented guys in the backfield, you know, you you've got to take advantage of those opportunities. So, um, and and you know, with Atkinson, we're seeing. Uh, more flashes, you know, he, he's he's demonstrating that he can potentially be a complete back in the future, but he's still just not consistent enough yet. And, and but Cam is the only guy that's consistent. And you know, the the people that uh, that, that put a high premium on athleticism still seem to want to be down on on Cam, and they you know they point to his fumble last night. I, I'm kind of inclined to give him a pass on that because with Hendricks in the game. And, uh, you know, USC literally putting 10 guys in the box, um, you know, you, you could have the, the best ball security in the world, and you, when you're running into the, into the teeth of a defense set up like that over and over again, uh, it's, you know, you're going to get a fumble sooner or later. So, uh, okay, so get, getting back to your, your initial question, you know, I am, I'm completely comfortable with McDaniel being our, our number one running back and assuming he continues to show the, the kind of, um, you know, vision, ball security, you know, hard running between the tackles and whatnot. I, I hope the the staff would write him out through the rest of the season, um, and you know, work in Atkinson and Carlisle and maybe the younger running backs as uh, as appropriate. But at this point, I think Cam is definitely our best option. It was it was really uh, nice to see him break a couple long runs against USC. Um, I think that's a, a dynamic that he has to add to his repertoire. Uh, speaking of McDaniel, um, I do think he needs to work on his vision a little bit. I, I'm not really crazy about how he lowers his head and seems to just run into his lineman's backs and 
doesn't really get anything more than two or three yards. Um, I would suspect that the coaching staff likes that he, he seems to run hard in that respect. Um, I think Carlisle suffers a little bit of that same uh, inability to find squirt through the holes and stuff like that. He's just kind of lowering his head and churning his feet, which is, is good. I mean, you want to see that toughness, but um, you know, you'd like to see more than two yards out of your running back, and I thought um, you know, McDaniel can definitely improve in that area, but I, I would agree with you. I think he's the most complete uh, back right now. Um, I, I, do, I do surprisingly think that Atkinson is playing well, and I, I think I would be okay with evening out the carries between him and McDaniel. But, uh, you know, as often happens, you kind of have to go with your hot hand, and it seems like McDaniel's that, been that guy the past two games. So um, that'll be interesting to see how Folston will get in the mix here, especially against the uh, service academies with Air Force and Navy coming up um, over the next two games. So my final question here for you, Whiskey Jack, is um, we have... A few more games until they finish the season at Stanford. We have Air Force, Navy, a road game at Pitt with a bye week, and then um, a home game against BYU before playing Stanford. Do you think anything but a 9-2 and record before playing Stanford is a disappointment? And as a follow-up to that question, who do you think would be the biggest stumbling block for the Irish before that Stanford game? Well, um, you know, and it... it when you're talking about expectations, it, it's it's a little different from from person to person. Expectations are are usually sky high, um, and it's especially hard to put it into perspective after a 12 and 0 season. Um, and you know, I I think most Irish fans were very optimistic at making a BCS run. Um, you know, this year 10 and 2. Uh, because we returned so many pieces from the the team last year, um, so for those people, yeah, I, I would say if we uh, are rolling into uh, you know Palo Alto at anything worse than nine and two with the BCS bid on the line, there, there's going to be disappointment for a lot of Irish fans. Um, however, you know if you try to get a more neutral uh, and maybe more accurate perspective on what our chances were pre-season. I think most of the Vegas Sharps uh, put our over-under on win, to uh, win total at about 7.5 or 8 this season because, you know, we, we play a brutal schedule. We lost a, a, a lot of really critical players from our from last year's defense. We lost our dynamic dual-threat quarterback to an academic issue right before the season. So, I mean, we, were, we overcame a, a huge amount of adversity to even be here and have that, uh, you know, keep those BCS hopes alive uh, by this point in the season after seven games. Um, so, you know, I, I would, I would be, I, I would be okay. Um, well, it, it, it's hard to say. Uh, I, I, I really want to be rolling in Palo Alto at nine two, and I, I think there, there would be some, some disappointment. If we drop one of the next four games, um, and basically to count us out of of the BCS race, um, you know, now if it happens that Tommy Reese goes down, you know, that changes everything. Obviously, I don't think anyone would be uh, I, that would immediately lower everyone's expectations for what we're capable of achieving. Um, and as for who who's likely to be the most uh, be the the, the stumbling block before Stanford, 
it, it's you know it's got to be Pitt or BYU. Um, our games against Pitt always seem to be just super ugly, low-scoring affairs. Um, but I, I have to say uh, BYU um, because you know B, BYU just seems to always have an underrated, borderline elite defense year in and year out. Uh, and their offense has has looked a lot better this year than it has last year with uh, Taysom Hill and adding, um, you know, some quarterback runs into the mix, which, you know, it certainly is cause for concern with anyone's defense, but especially ours because, you know, those dual-threat quarterbacks are such an issue for us. Um, so I, I think that would that would be my answer. There, there would be some, assuming Tommy's healthy the rest of the year, there would be some mild disappointment if we dropped one of the next four games. Um, and if we drop one of them, I expect it's going to be to BYU. Yeah, the BYU game, I think, is going to be pretty interesting. Um, the Pitt game also seems a little bit weird this year. I don't know if it's because we're playing them so late in the year. Uh, we tend to play them in October, early to mid-October over here, and uh, I don't know, they just seem to have been rolling through the season pretty quietly right now. Uh, BYU, I think, will get a little bit more, uh, we'll know a little bit more about them here in the coming weeks. They have Boise State coming up this week, and then they play at Wisconsin um, a couple weekends before the Notre Dame game. They do get to play Idaho State right before the Irish, so uh, that might be good for them. But we'll be coming off a bye as well, so we'll be well-rested. Um, so I think we'll know a little bit more about BYU. Um, I probably would echo your thoughts as well. I think 9-2 and two heading into Palo Alto is a, is a pretty big achievement for this team, especially with the way the first you know, four or five games of the season went. Um, they do seem to be getting better, at least defensively, every game. Um, I think a lot of that has to do with Tuit, as you mentioned earlier in the po- podcast. Um, you know, go ha- head into the Stanford at 9-2. and two. I think that's probably the goal right now for most of the fans out there. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens in that game. Um, I know most people probably wouldn't be super disappointed with a loss um, at Stanford, but... Uh, even with a loss, you know, you're sitting at 9-3, you still have a chance to win your bowl game and win double-digit games uh, for the second year in a row, which hasn't happened in God knows who long, how long. So, um, yeah, I think the season has definitely t- taken an, a, a good turn here in the last few games. Um, so I think that'll wrap up our 14th episode of the One Foot Down podcast. I want to thank Whiskey Jack for coming on again. Do you have anything else to say before we get out of here? I just wanted to reiterate the the last point you brought up, and I, I meant to mention that earlier. But um, you know, even even if we we lose to Stanford and we end up nine and three, um, you know, if we get a manageable opponent in a bowl game and win that, um, you know, we'll be carrying that. You know, we will have had back to back double digit win seasons since uh, for the first time since Holtz Holtz's years for sure. Um, I, I don't know the exact year, but I'm I would bet money that's the last time that happened. Um, which would be another, you know, momentous achievement for for Kelly in rebuilding this program, and I think it would it would really allow us to carry some positive momentum into the off season, which is going to be so important. Uh, and I really hope that happens because this last off season was just brutal for us. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know how anyone could be um, upset with where we are right now, especially with how front loaded our schedule was. Uh, looking at the first four games we played, uh, we needed to take three of those four, and we did. Um, and then the, the the three after that, you know, we needed to pick up two of those three, 
which seemed like a really tall order at the beginning of the year. You know, I, I had there were people making predictions that we were going to drop three in a row to, um, <clears throat> you know, to. Oh, I'm blanking on the schedule. Um, anyway, you know that that we were going to be, you know, at uh, 500, uh, uh, a 50 percent win rate at this point or worse. Right. Um, but you know the the fact that we we got through these first seven games, which is you know one of the hardest opening slates in college football. Uh, I, I, last I checked, it was top ten on Sagarin's strength of schedule. Um, I'm sure it's probably still up there. And for us to be uh, five and two at that point, having only dropped two games, uh, entering in on this on the quote unquote soft part of our schedule, uh, and with a chance to head into Palo Alto with a BCS bowl on the line. Um, you know, with, with all the all the crap that went on in the off season and the injuries and losing Golson and whatnot, I mean, there's I don't see how people can be anything but happy at this point. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, everyone, go check out IrishEnvy.com if you want to stay up to date on your all your recruiting stuff. That site's really good for that stuff. I know I stop by there every once in a while to see what everyone's saying about all the players, all the visits. Uh, we had a big recruiting weekend in South Bend with this USC game. Hopefully we'll get a couple commits out of that here in the coming uh, week or two. Um, I want to thank Whiskey Jack again. Uh, everyone, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Leave your comments and reviews. And don't forget to check out our game review on Monday when this podcast goes up as well. This is the One Foot Down Podcast, Episode 14. I'm Eric Murtaugh, and we are out of here.